Well, the fire started in the garage. Thankfully, the fire department was able to put this fire out, but not before the garage was totaled. Now, the recent word that I received is that they plan to rebuild. And you've probably seen this house. It's located on the corner of 8th and Harrison here in Goodland. No doubt there will be a lot of work required to rebuild, but this house can be restored. It can be rebuilt. I want to invite you, or I just want to welcome you to week number three here in our series called Rebuilding. As a church, we are rebuilding, and no doubt in your own life, there are situations that you have walked through where it's required of you to rebuild. And, uh, and rebuilding is not always easy, but with God's assistance and help, it is successful. And I say that with confidence because God is a God who's into rebuilding. That is his desire. He desires to rebuild. Well, what will be required when we rebuild? Well, as I began this series a few weeks ago, it was discovered in that first message that the primary, the first foundational thing that we need to engage in as we rebuild, as we rebuild as a church, as we rebuild our own lives, is that we need to lay that foundational stone called prayer. You've probably heard it said many a time that what is essential, what is crucial in building a structure is you got to have a great foundation. And so as we rebuild in our own lives, as we rebuild as a church, that foundational stone that we must put in place is the stone called prayer. So prayer is that first step in rebuilding. Then in message two, we talked about how we need to have a plan when it comes to rebuilding. We just can't just sit back and do nothing. We've got to have a plan. We need to have a purpose. And of course, as we work through Nehemiah here, we saw how Nehemiah had a plan, how he had a purpose. He wanted to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And it's also true for us as we rebuild as a church, as we rebuild our own lives, we need to have a purpose. We need to have a plan as we press on and rebuild. Well, today's message in rebuilding uh, focuses on the emotions associated with rebuilding. And so that's where we're going to be going this morning. We'll be looking at the emotions that are tied to the rebuilding process, and so we'll be looking at those. Well, before you this morning on the screen, uh, you will see uh, the typical emotions that we all go through when we encounter a loss or when we encounter something that really rocks our world. And when we uh, encounter that, we go through a series of emotions. And this course is the grief cycle. You've probably seen this. Uh, you can see it begins there with denial up there on the right-hand corner. Uh, when we encounter that particular episode in our life, uh, we deny. It's like, God, this can't be happening. It can't be true. And so we enter into denial, the emotion of denial. Then as we process, we move into the stage of anger. 
we become upset at what has happened to us in this particular episode in our life. And then we move from anger into depression. You know, we kind of fall low. And then uh, we also move from depression into bargaining. And we want to make a deal, especially make deals with God. God, when I pray, if you answer my prayer, Lord, uh, I promise to do this, okay? Bargaining. So we get into bargaining. And eventually we come to that point where we accept what it is that has happened to us. Now, something I want to point out here regarding this grief cycle is that uh, we can experience any one of those emotions at a different time in our life. We're all different, and so we all encounter these emotions at different times. So instead of starting with denial, you might jump right into anger, okay? Or you might jump right into bargaining or something. So we're all different. We all go through grief differently. I just want to point that out. So it's just not automatically that you go through this cycle, but you will encounter these emotions at different times in your life, and sometimes you're in one particular uh, emotion for a long time, and sometimes it's a short time. So that is called the grief process. Well, having come through conflict in our own lives, uh, we've all experienced numerous emotions. And uh, as we rebuild as a church and as we rebuild our own lives, there are numerous emotions that we encounter. And this morning, I want to look at a few of those emotions because it's very important for us to understand these emotions, to to come face-to-face with these emotions in our life because it's important to do so so that we can move on, so that we can step into the future. Because if we can't deal with these emotions, well, then we're going to be stuck in the past, and that is not healthy. Well, here in Nehemiah, we see how Nehemiah, as well as the Israelites, they encountered emotions as they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Now, as we work through these emotions this morning, my challenge to you uh, is to envision and see if maybe some of these emotions don't apply to you, okay? So just sit back and enjoy as we walk through these emotions. You know, just ask yourself, do I experience this emotion? Okay, so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So we're talking about the emotions of rebuilding. When we rebuild, we got to deal with emotions. And so let's talk about those emotions that we will encounter or have encountered as we rebuild. Not only rebuild as a church, but as we rebuild our own individual lives. So the first emotion that is experienced in the, real, in the rebuilding process regarding Nehemiah as well as the Israelites was the emotion of sadness. So if you have your bulletin and you are following the outline, number one there is sadness, the emotion of sadness. That's what Nehemiah encountered. Let's take a look at it. We're in chapter 2, and here's what we read about Nehemiah in the opening verses of chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. So Nehemiah is experiencing sadness. So let's, let's just back up again and just remind ourselves, why is Nehemiah sad? Well, Nehemiah is sad because he heard report that the people who remain in Jerusalem are not doing well, and the city itself, it's 
its walls and its gates are in shambles. And this has saddened Nehemiah. Now, what even more saddens Nehemiah is what he believes. When Jerusalem was prosperous and doing well, and the walls were built and the gates were functioning and everything, when everything was going well, they perceived that as the blessing of God. God was in their midst. God was expressing his favor to them. God was on their side. And that was what really encouraged them. But now that the city is in shambles, the walls have been destroyed and so forth, their spiritual conclusion is this. God has left us. God has departed. And when he reflects on that understanding, that spiritual understanding, his heart is saddened because he wants the presence of God. He wants the blessing of God. But the walls that are in shambles indicate that God has left. And so he is experiencing sadness. He's experiencing sadness. He's asking the question, perhaps, and this is what we often do, too, when we go through our difficult time, when we experience our loss. Sadness strikes us, and we ask these questions. God, what have I done? What is it I have done to bring about this difficulty or this conflict or this loss? What, God, what, what, what are you doing? What's going on? Have I done something? And so sadness creeps into our lives. Nehemiah was experiencing sadness. The people, the Israelites, were experiencing sadness because the walls were in shambles. There's a second emotion that Nehemiah and his people are experiencing, and that is the emotion called fear. It's called fear. Again, back in Nehemiah chapter 2, we're looking at verse 2 here. The king asked Nehemiah, he says to Nehemiah, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And then Nehemiah says this, I was very much afraid. I was very much afraid. Now, Nehemiah is fearful. And here, here's why Nehemiah is fearful. He's fearful because if the king is in a bad mood, and he does not like Nehemiah's attitude or his emotion of, and so forth, he could have Nehemiah punished. And even worse than that, he could take the life of Nehemiah. He could have him executed. He could have him done away with. So we can see why Nehemiah is fearful as he stands before the king. Now, we, all of us, experience fear. We as a church, we experience fear. We as individuals experience fear. And this fear comes from two scenarios or two situations. Let me share those with you. First of all, we develop what we call a personal fear, personal fear, where we are focused on ourselves and we're trying to figure out how am I going to fix this mess or how am I going to... Uh, survive this. You know, we begin to internalize, look inward, and we ask questions like, you know, what am I going to do? Okay? How will I survive? You know, what am I supposed to do? Now, these questions, they don't have immediate answers. And since they don't have immediate answers, a little bit of fear enters into our lives. How about you? Have you experienced that? 
a little bit of fear, trying to figure it out, trying to solve it. You have no answers. You don't know what to do. So fear comes in. So there's that personal fear that we bring upon ourselves, but there's also a spiritual fear uh, come from a spiritual element. Here's, here's what I mean. Um, you know, we want to know what God is up to, okay? You know, we've been rocked. Our life has been rocked, you know. Our, uh, we as a church, we've encountered some tough times, and, and we want to we ask God, okay, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? But you know what does God ask us to do? He asks us to walk by faith and not by sight. Therefore, we don't know. We don't walk by sight. We can't see what God is doing. Therefore, we've got to rest and exercise faith and just trust him. Trust him. But that is difficult. Again, we want answers, but we don't have the immediate answer. And so we, so we get a little fearful. Yes, we know God is good. We know that he's faithful. But hey, let's, let's be honest. We get fearful, don't we? We get fearful because of our personal situation, and we get fearful because we just do not know what God is up to. And so that creates fear within us. Nehemiah, as well as the people of Israel, they were encountering fear because, you know, they were wondering, how are we going to fix these walls? Okay? What is God up to? How is God going to help us? They had no answers at the time. And so fear was part of their emotional makeup. Well, there's a third emotion here that comes from the life of Nehemiah. And let's look at it. The third emotion that Nehemiah experienced was embarrassment. Embarrassment. Chapter 2, once again. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Okay? That word disgrace suggests embarrassment. When a church encounters difficulty or when we personally encounter difficulty or loss or something in our life, oftentimes we respond in embarrassment. We do. And here's why. We're concerned what people are thinking, don't we? We're concerned what people are thinking, and therefore we experience embarrassment. Your relationship with whomever has been rocked, it's been destroyed. After going through the grief cycle, embarrassment sets in, doesn't it? Why? Because what are people thinking? What are they thinking about me? Embarrassment. Embarrassment. A fourth emotion that we face when we rebuild our lives, as we rebuild as a church, is the, I call it the emotion of misunderstanding. Misunderstanding. Those individuals that Nehemiah encountered those individuals who did not want Nehemiah or the Israelite people to succeed, uh, those individuals made up stories, made up accusations that weren't true. For example, take a look at one here. These guys that were causing trouble to Nehemiah says, Nehemiah, it's reported among the nations and 
Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and, have been appoint and you have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you and Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king. So come, let's uh, confer together. Well, we've learned that God has placed this, this mission on Nehemiah's heart, that mission to rebuild the walls. It's from God. He's just being obedient to God. He's doing what God desires of his life. He's stepping into a very good project. But the naysayers, those who are troublemakers, have accused him of trying to set himself self up as king, as, as to seize power from the king, and so forth. And that is the story that's being propagated among the people. And it's totally incorrect and untrue. And therefore, he's experiencing frustration. He does not like what's being said. There's misunderstanding, and that has caused turmoil in his life. How about you? Have you encountered this misunderstanding? People have said some things about you or said something about the church you attend and it's completely untrue. But it's the story that's out there. That does stir feelings, doesn't it? It sure does. That was emotion number four. Emotion number five, let's take a look at it. Emotion five here that Nehemiah encountered, uh, I have dubbed this emotion called the emotion of imprecation. Imprecation. Here's imprecation. Let me get out of the way. Uh, the word imprecation means to curse or to pronounce judgment. So we can add that one. Imprecation means to curse or to pronounce judgment. Now again, these uh, troublemakers that were giving Nehemiah a hard time, uh, they, they came and they uh, ridiculed Nehemiah and they ridiculed the people. And here's one, uh, here's Tobiah, one of the guys is named Tobiah. And here's what he said about their building uh, process. In verse 4, Tobiah says, what they are building, and that's the walls, what they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. And that's the paraphrase to say, what you guys are building is crappy, okay? It's no good. I mean, a little cat could jump up on top of the wall and it would crumble, okay? So that's what's going on. Ridicule, making fun of Nehemiah and the people. Well, here's how Nehemiah responds. This is important. Take a look at it. It's in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. So how does Nehemiah respond to the ridicule, uh, the blame, the making fun of? Here's, Nehemiah says this. He goes into prayer. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. 
So what we have taking place here is that out of emotion, you know, emotion is really welling up in Nehemiah, and because of this emotion, he prays an imprecatory prayer. He prays a prayer of curse and judgment on his enemies, if you will. Now, this is, nothing, this is not something that's new. This, is happenings in the, this happens in the Bible, and I want to just show that to you. Uh, if you go into the Psalms, there are some Psalms, as you read through the book of Psalms, there are some Psalms that are called imprecatory Psalms. Okay, these are Psalms where the psalmist is praying and, and crying out to God, and as he does, he, he's speaking curse or he's speaking judgment on those who are against him, against his enemies. Now, here's an example. We're in Psalm 109, and uh, this is King David, and here's what King David has to say about his enemies. Listen to this. So David prays to God. He says, God, appoint an evil man to oppose him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. That's called an imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory psalm is where the psalmist, when he writes, he writes about cursing the individual or bringing judgment on the individual. Bringing that here today with Nehemiah. Nehemiah, when these guys were ridiculing him, he goes to prayer and he prays an imprecatory uh, prayer. He doesn't speak good things over these people. He doesn't ask for blessing on these guys. Instead, he wants these guys to be captured and sent away where they can deal with the enemy and so forth. So imprecatory. And uh, so I call this an imprecatory emotion. That's what we encounter, each of us. When your church goes through a major conflict or when you go through a conflict with somebody or whatever, you experience an imprecatory emotion. You do. You begin to feel like, man, I wish my neighbor would step on a rusty nail. Okay? You may not say it out loud, but it's in your heart, isn't it? We're all there, I, myself included. We're all there. And when we encounter stuff, we need to be aware of that. Remember, we, re, we are rebuilding, okay? As a church, we are rebuilding. You are rebuilding your, your life. And uh, as you rebuild, you're going to encounter these emotions, sadness, fear, frustration because of false information. And you're going to experience this imprecatory emotion where you, you may not say it out loud, but internally you're going to say, man, I wish you would trip and fall on your face. Okay, that's what we are. What that does, it reveals the evilness of our heart, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? But that is an emotion that we got to deal with when we rebuild our lives. We got to deal with that imprecatory emotion, that, that emotion where we want to pronounce a curse or pronounce judgment on that person that has wronged us, who has done an injustice to us. Again, the imprecatory emotion. Well, there's one more emotion I want you to look at, and that's the emotion that I have called resolve. Uh, Nehemiah reports that even though they have encountered, encountered difficulty and experienced all kinds of emotions, 
he says this in verse 6 of chapter 4. We rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. I think that last phrase, all their heart, speaks of resolve. They were going to rebuild, okay? Yes, they were going to be ridiculed by the, by the enemies, the naysayers, okay? Yes, they were going to be sad. They were going to experience fear. But in the end, they resolved. They threw themselves into it, and they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. You need resolve as you rebuild your church, as you rebuild your own life. Don't settle, but have that resolve, that resolve to see glory established and see God's favor experienced. So have this resolve, have this resolve. So where are we going with this message this morning? Okay, we've talked about the emotions that are associated with rebuilding. You know, we have the sadness, we have the fear, we have the frustration that results from improper understanding. Uh, we have the imprecatory emotion where we want to speak uh, curses or judgments. And then we have this one course called resolve where we want to end up. We want to resolve to do that which is right. Uh, so what, what, where are we doing? Where are we going with this message this morning? Okay. Well, there's a couple of things I want to share with you as we come to an end. Uh, number one, I want to share with you that uh, you are created an emotional being. Okay. That's your makeup. You are an emotional person. That's just how you were made. And so I want to just share with you, when you encounter these emotions, okay, you're normal, okay? You're normal. That's how God made you. So I don't want you to come down too hard on yourself. Uh, again, we don't want to camp like in anger. You know, anger is how we're made to, we do get angry, but we don't want to stay in anger because if you stay in anger, the next step, they say, is you step into bitterness, okay? And when you step into bitterness, uh, it gets even worse, then you end up with depression. So we don't want to stay there, but I do want you to understand that's how you're made. So you're going to experience these emotions in your life, okay? You're going to experience them. So you are normal. You are normal. What we, what we want to do, though, is we want to eventually end up in the resolve category, okay? Because resolve says we're going to move forward. We're going to make lemonade out of the lemons. That's what it says. That's what resolve says. And that's where we want to be. And we can be in the resolve area because of this great verse that Nehemiah shared with his people. You know, they're encountering all kinds of emotions, and he wants them to press on beyond those emotions. And so he says this in Nehemiah 4.14. Don't be afraid of them, that is, their enemies. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Look at that verse with me, would you? Uh, verse 14. Here's what it says. Don't be afraid of them. And it says, remember the Lord. I think that word remember is important to kind of grab hold of here at this time and just kind of uh, reflect on it uh, because I think remember it has some meaning. It says, uh, you know, the tendency that we encounter when we pass through our dark valley, when we have this major hiccup that occurs in our life, our tendency is to kind of get stuck 
in those emotions. Sadness, fear, anger, bitterness, okay, frustration. We get, we get stuck in those. It becomes a rut in our life, and we, we get, you know, settled in that. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Because what has happened is the goodness of God, the greatness and awesome of God has been replaced by our own manufactured emotion. Do you see that taking place there? So Nehemiah says, don't let that manufactured, maybe that's not the right word, but don't let that emotion that has been stirred within you captivate or enslave you. And the way that you break the chains of that emotion is by remembering what? The great and awesome God. I mean, that's why we're here. That's why harvest exists. That's why you're in this world too, because of a great and awesome God. And as we talked about earlier when we had communion, it's not that God uh, needed us. God wanted us. You are wanted. And the person that wants you is great and awesome, and he will help you break through those barriers of emotion that may prevent you from moving forward. And he, our God, the great and awesome one, will give you resolve to press forward. Remember, remember, you belong to a great and awesome God who desires to rebuild and make something even grander, bigger, and better from your own life. Remember. Let's pray. God, thanks again for just the encouragement from, from, from Nehemiah, how he, in the very end, Lord, his resolve was built on how great and awesome you are. God, may we remember that constantly, daily. May we remember when we're in the pits of our emotion and we are struggling, may we remember that we belong to a God who is great and awesome and he majors on rebuilding. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, have a great